This is Around the Rim with LaChina Robinson. Hello, basketball fans. It is your favorite time of the week. A new episode of your ESPNW Women's Basketball Podcast, Around the Rim. And contrary to what you may see in fake news, women's basketball is growing. Mm. Um, I'm your host, LaChina Robinson, joined by my fabulous, fantastic producer, Tarika Foster-Brasby. Um, Tarika, there's been a lot happening right now around women's basketball, these conversations, these fake news articles. Everyone wants to weigh in on why they think the WNBA is not growing or people don't watch. It is growing. People are watching. In case you haven't seen, there's an article right now on Forbes about the ratings of WNBA and why they are skyrocketing on ESPN. Shout out to the entire ESPN crew. Rodney Vaughn, Carol Stiff, because this includes college. This includes the amazing Final Four we just had. So Mm -hmm. I just felt the need to start this podcast off because this is a hot topic right now in our game. And there's some trolling happening on social media. Women's basketball players, WNBA players are not here for it, okay? They will shut you down. They know the statistics behind it. They're well-educated on uh their sport and where it is and why things are the way they are so all these guys that might have made their rec league team may not have <laughs> who are telling women to get back in the kitchen we're coming for you and and people that watch my that watch my thread you know i don't usually engage in these kind of things because i'm the kind of person i'm like oh just ignore the ignore the haters but Sometimes you have to educate the haters. You know, sometimes what? you have to call the haters out. Sometimes you have to put them in their place, Tarika. Sometimes. And you know what? I just want to give a shout out to Asia Wilson and um, Imani McGee Stafford because they have provided the ultimate clapbacks over the last weeks that have just done my heart justice. So shout out to y'all holding it down. I mean, I mean, done it total justice. And the fact that people tried to twist Asia Wilson's comment about paying the WNBA around like she was coming for LeBron James, like that's super cheap. Yeah. Like we're not, we're not doing that. Like that's check your integrity. Well, what right we'll now. do is we'll take all this negative conversation and turn it into a positive because that means that you guys must be trying to pay attention in some way to the WNBA. So we'll take it. We'll trend. Yeah, you're giving us you're giving us some love in an indirect way, in a hater way. Uh, but anyway, we are going to have more conversations on this podcast about the business of, of basketball. We actually are trying to schedule Amber Cox of the Connecticut Sun. She is so brilliant around this, this space, whether it's pay or play or how the league can grow and that kind of thing. I mean, there's a lot of people that are educated, but I really respect Amber. So we're going to, we want to educate you too. We're not just trash talking, uh, but this is a conversation we'll continue to have. Uh, we got a great show for you guys. We're back to talking WNBA. Matter of fact, let me just say thank you to everyone that supported us. Um, growing the boundaries of around the rim this summer, trying some different topics, bringing some people on, different people on. Uh, last week we talked about recruiting, fashion. We will continue to sprinkle that kind of stuff in. Uh, but this week we're, we've getting, we're getting back to the business of WNBA. Michelle Vopel will join the show. And basically Michelle and I are going to talk about the scoop, what's happening with the league, where things are right now, all-star, what players are standing out to us, what teams are um, trending up, and what teams are trending down. Um, <laughs> but before we start, of course, we're going to have my clipboard because there's so many things that I just want to tell you all real quick, like, like bullet points. So let's go to the first quarter. First quarter. All right, fans. So this is the clipboard. First of all, um, want to send some prayers up because again, it's been a while since we've had a show. And, um, unfortunately, Sancho Little, who is one of my favorite players in the history of the WNBA, um, was part of three WNBA finals appearances with the Atlanta Dream. Um, Eastern Conference banners hang in Atlanta because of Sancho and her efforts. Anyway, she was having a, a, a great season as a contributor to the Phoenix Mercury tour ACL out for the season. Also, Jameer Faulkner, who, if you've been following her career, I just love her. Southern Miss, underdog, toughness, um, come 
just was just coming back from an ACL and unfortunately just suffered another knee blowout. So once in our prayers, because these women play year round, um, you know, they sacrifice their bodies. It's a condensed season. It's not easy to play and recover the way you need to, those kind of things. But we all know injuries happen just for no reason. And uh, we just want to send some strength to those ladies. Also, Sending a big congratulations to Rebecca Brunson. That's right. Rebecca Brunson is now the WNBA all-time leading rebounder. And um, let's hear from Rebecca on this accomplishment. And we're joined now by the star of the game. What a game. What a career it's been for Lynx forward Rebecca Brunson. Rebecca, we're going to get to the win in just a minute here. But I want to talk about you and historic night for you. You become the all-time leading rebounder in WNBA history. What does that achievement yeah. mean to you? Oh, my gosh. Um, you know, first of all, I came into this league behind some amazing post players. And, you know, just to be mentioned amongst them is an achievement in its own. So I feel extremely blessed to be at the top of that list. You passed Tamika Catchings. How about that accomplishment? <laughs> uh, she's a great player. I mean, she really went in after it every night. And, uh, yeah, I learned a lot just by watching her play. So... You know, this is a huge win for, for your team. You, you beat an excellent team tonight. I, I know mm-hmm. it's been a roller coaster season uh, for you guys uh, so far, but uh, how, how do you how do you gauge Rebecca where this team is after a win like tonight? Oh, it means so much. Um, like you said, it's been up and down for us throughout the entire season, um, but we're figuring it out. You know, we're a team that always believes in ourselves, and I think that while every season we've had some rough patches, ours just came a little bit early this year. So I really feel good about where we are. And- so, first and foremost, um, Michelle Vogel and I will talk about the Minnesota Lynx later in uh, the podcast. But Rebecca Brunson came into this league, and one thing she's always shared with me is that in order for her to earn time on the floor, she knew she had to rebound and defend, right? So you come from Georgetown, you're a great player. Anyone who is drafting the first round of the WNBA could say, hey, how many touches touches am I going to get? How many times a game am I going to shoot the ball? Brunson is the epitome of selflessness. Uh, she just works incredibly hard every possession down the floor. She's evolved as a player. She's now hitting threes, um, changed her diet so that she's actually lighter. Um, and in my opinion, that has extended her overall WNBA career because she's not putting as much pressure on those joints and there's not as much banging and pounding because she's a physical player very but does someone we don't hear about enough Tarika um we hear about Maya and Simone and Syl and Lindsay Whalen and I get it they're all great players that's Mm -hmm. why the Minnesota Lynx have won four championships but Rebecca Brunson is what every kid needs to study know your role Go all out in in that role with all your heart, with all your passion, with with all of your energy, and see where that lands you. And where did it land Rebecca Brunson? Ahead of Lisa Leslie, Tamika Catchings in the rebounding category. What's interesting about that is you hear Kara Lawson during the broadcast of that game, and she was talking about her time with her in Sacramento and just how in awe she was at you know, her ability to jump, so her physical ability, but then just at her work ethic, like, and to hear Kara Lawson, who I think is one of the hardest working women um, on the court and off the court, but to hear her compliment Rebecca's work ethic and how hard she goes and how hard she practiced to get better at her craft, um, just astounding to me. Yes, Kara was very complimentary of Rebecca Brunson. They played together in Sacramento and it's just incredible, again, you never know what you can accomplish because you don't hear Rebecca Brunson's name a lot, but you just come in every day and you do the dirty work and her teammates were so complimentary of that. So we wanted to say congratulations to Rebecca Brunson. Also congrats to um, Sue Bird, who is now the all time leading scorer in Seattle storm history. Um, Diana Tarazi hit some milestone. You no, know, every week she's hitting another milestone. It's what like, is Diana not doing? <laughs> she's, she's doing everything. I'm like, okay, now she's got another one, and and you know she's getting to that point in her career where the games add up, and she's great. And so, yep. there's going to be a different milestone all the time. So, congrats to her. Congrats to uh, Mike Tebow, who is the first WNBA coach to reach 300 wins. And um, Mike Tebow's a class act. Like he's always 
willing to talk basketball with me, always willing to say, hey, LaChina, you know, teach me things about the general manager side of, of things. Like, he, you will not meet a player that did not enjoy playing for him, like, at all. He is, he's a player's coach. And, um, yeah, we love Mike Tebow. Wonder when he's going to get his first championship. Um, could be this year. Could be this we will year. Talk about, <laughs> we will talk about Washington later in the, in the podcast. Um, Trying to think of what else we wanted to mention. All star voting is is still going on, but you don't have a long time, so make sure you are um, casting your votes for your favorite all star. And uh, I think that might be it. So, uh, good show for you today. Again, we've got Michelle Vopel in the house. Fourth quarter, we will take some fan mail. We've been getting some great emails, so fans keep them coming at Around the Rim Podcast at gmail.com. We love it so much that we're going to have to start dedicating some of our fourth quarters to fan mail. Mm -hmm. So fourth quarter fan mail, Tariq and I will get to chat and interact with you, which we love. Uh, But let's uh, jump into the second quarter. Second quarter inside the huddle. All right, fans, it is time to get inside the huddle. And the last few weeks, Tariq and I decided to go away from some of the major WNBA headlines and WNBA play in general, just because of the ebbs and flow of what happens in all of girls and women's basketball over the summer. So we got some great feedback. We know that you guys enjoyed that. We're going to be bringing you some different segments all summer long, all year long. But right now, it's time to get back to the WNBA. And I am excited to have with us on our show someone who always adds great depth great value, historical perspective, all of the above. Um, join me in welcoming ESPNW writer Michelle Vopel to the podcast. Hey, Michelle. Hi. How are you doing? Nice to join you. Well, it's good to be here. And boy, do we have a lot to talk about. And just because of the timing of us recording this podcast, there is some major news for you and I to kind of dissect. There were a few different headlines this morning um, I woke up to um, WNBA insider saying that Courtney Williams' um, time away from the Connecticut Sun, where they have been saying it's been personal matters, it was actually because of a team altercation that she apparently had with Alex Bitley. Now, this is not a gossip podcast, but um, WNBA insider does great work. I totally believe, you know, that, that's exactly what happened and why Courtney Williams has been away. And then we get an email that there's been a trade, Alex Bentley and Lasia Clarendon are swapping teams. Michelle, when you heard this, how did you think all of this information kind of came together? Uh, well, definitely uh, the, the report yesterday from WMB Insider was sort of like you saw that and you go, okay, that explains some things because it seemed like something was up definitely with Courtney's um, absence from the team and just sort of a little bit, the sun has seemed a little bit not on their game completely um, the, the, for a, a little while now on, the, on this West coast trip, seeing the news this morning then was like, okay. And you can, you can see the reasons for this for sure. I mean, you obviously know the dream better than anybody and Lasia's role has been reduced this year with mm-hmm. Renee Montgomery coming in and Leisha's not starting anymore. I mean, her numbers are pretty dramatically down from last season uh, when she was an all-star. So this may be good for her from a change of scenery standpoint. Now, she's going to a team where Jasmine Thomas is a starting point guard, so we're not necessarily saying, hey, she's going to take over that role. But the change of scenery may be good for her, and obviously Alex Bentley's coming back to Atlanta, where she started her WNBA career there. The dream drafted her back in 2013. So this may be a thing where both players benefit, and in the case of Connecticut, maybe there was just some chemistry issues that had to be taken care of by one person leaving. Yeah, it's it's so interesting to look at this from both sides because Connecticut has definitely not been the team that got off to the strong start at the beginning of the year. I pinpointed the loss of Alyssa Thomas as really the major reason, and I still believe that. Um, and then you lose Courtney Williams. So you're now trying to replace two starters, 
And, but there, you're right. There seemed to be something else that just has not been right with this team. And I mean, I've been a part of, of sports teams and I can tell you if a fight happens, when things like that go down, it is not good for team chemistry. Um, whether everybody's on one person's side or no one takes sides, it doesn't matter. It's just you're a family and you're tight knit. And then these things happen. They kind of throw you off the rails. Um, but. You know, looking at Atlanta's situation, Alasia did not fit what Nikki Collin was looking for, in my opinion, right? And I was reading, actually, her comments um, about the move, and she said, having had the opportunity to coach Alex Bentley in Connecticut for two seasons, I know she can be a dynamic scorer. More importantly, she can create opportunities for her teammates because of her speed and skill with the basketball. Um, Alasia Clarendon is not necessarily what I would call a dynamic scorer, right? And... Atlanta has struggled to put points on the board this season. Now they've had a couple of, uh, of good outings here and there, but their offense definitely gets anemic from time to time. And then in terms of the word speed, you know, um, this is a team that wants to push and get up and down the floor. And Alex Bentley is definitely, uh, I would say a little more athletic in that sense than Lasia Clarendon. So it just seems like a good fit, but I, you know, you never know. I mean, this is an important move for both of these teams and how it will impact them. And I think more so for Connecticut because Lasia was such a small part of what Atlanta had going on. This is a critical move for Connecticut because I thought Alex Bentley was having a good season and could really boost Atlanta dream on the other side of it. Yeah, I mean, you just nailed every, I think, important point of this. I agree completely in terms of Alex being, I think, a really good fit in Atlanta for the reasons you said. They've got some dynamic scores, but they also have times when nobody's hitting. And she Mm -hmm. has that ability to step in and and be a big scorer in a way that, you know, as you said, Lasia probably isn't going to be. Lasia is a good complementary player. I mean, she is somebody who wants to set other people up. I think she can fit in well um, more in what Connecticut does, but it's right now. I think the the risk is a little bit more on Connecticut's side yes. on this in terms of, like you said, how Lasia fits in versus what they're losing with Bentley. I feel like with Bentley, she's just been a pretty consistent good player who can sometimes be a difference maker in games from an offensive standpoint. And and also, as you know, everything about what Nikki Collins said she wanted to do, she's been true to that. You know, she Mm -hmm. wanted um, Angel to come back and be a little bit more of a playmaker, not just a great scorer. They're trying to implement that. She wanted the, you know, for them to be the team that had the, greatest number of possessions, wanted them to be the best defensive team. Now, I don't know that they're there, but she's trying to hold true to all the things that she said she really wanted to implement. Yeah, yeah. And and that's been, I mean, I sit on that sideline and Nikki is constantly saying, push, 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 push. Um, And Alex Bentley is coming from a team that understands pace. So we will keep our eyes on that. But so much going on in the WNBA right now, and you have to start with, what I think is the cream of the crop right now, and that's Seattle. Uh, behind the leadership of Sue Bird, uh, arguably in, in, in my MVP, I wouldn't even say arguably for me, but Brianna Stewart is, is the MVP so far this season, Jewel Lloyd, Natasha Howard. Um, Dan Hughes has done a great job with this team. Let's hear from Sue Bird about what she says is happening or what's going well for the Storm. We're a team right now that um... – you know, it's taken a couple of years, to be honest, but we have a really good grasp of what our identity is and, and what we want to do out there on the court. So it's not always going to go our way. There's going to be ebbs and flows just like every game. For the most part, we played our strengths and we try to, um, which is our ability to run, our ability to score. And tonight, I think we just uh, we took what they gave us. So one thing you heard Sue talk about was just how comfortable this team is in their identity and how they like to push up the floor and play quickly. But at the beginning, she also mentioned how the last couple of years that was not necessarily happening. And, and we were all a little bit curious as to why Seattle was not a better team than what we had seen with three number one picks. Now, youth, experience, all of that counts in the WNBA. But, Michelle, what are you seeing happening so or what's going so right for Seattle right now? You know, it's interesting how history is repeating itself in a way that we all kind of thought about 
when they got the back-to-back number one picks in 15 and 16. The Everybody talked about how that mirrored having back-to-back picks back in 2001 and 2002 with Lauren Jackson and Sue Bird. It was their third year together that everything clicked, and they had some really good um, contributions from veteran players like Betty Lennox and Camilla Vodichkova, who who came in and, and played good, solid role players who sometimes could really elevate. We're kind of seeing the same thing this year. Now, the difference is that team back in 2004 didn't have a Sue Bird, um, and this team does. So it just makes me think about how that, you know, that re- that repetition of when you get, you know, similar situations come along. Third year for Jewel Lloyd and, and, and Brianna Stewart to be playing together. You have the veterans on this team who've stepped forward, obviously Bird, but also Alicia Clark, who I think is one of the great stories in the WNBA in terms of how she had to be out of the league for a little while and find her spot and has been such a dependable player. And then, of course, Natasha Howard, who is, uh, you know, right now, we'll probably talk about this right now, I think is the pick for most improved player in the league because she's finally on a team where she's starting. She's getting a chance to show herself. So all of those things have come together. Two incredibly great young players really, you know, now knowing each other really well. One of the great veterans in the history of the league and then other players who are quote-unquote role players but have stepped forward and played well. Yeah, and congratulations, by the way, in order to Sue Bird, who is Seattle's all-time leading scorer, having passed up the great Lauren Jackson. And, I I mean, right now, as we've talked about, they are the best team in the league. I see them making it to the finals. Another team that I think could maybe surprise some, but we've seen this developing over the course of last year and this year, um, that – could end up, you know, in a, in a final series with Seattle is the Washington Mystics. And congrats to Coach Tebow, the first coach in WNBA history to hit that 300 win mark. Um, quietly, they are quiet in the way that they go about their season approach and, and how they win games and how they improve. No one is ever really checking for Washington, but they should be because Elena Deladon, Christy Tolliver, we know, but this team has so many different types of lineups they can put on the floor and so many different combinations of players that make them extremely hard to guard. Um, no Emma Mieseman, but to me, they're more athletic, in, in my opinion, with Tiana Hawkins in better shape, with Latoya Sanders uh, coming along. She's having an outstanding season and, and could be in the conversation for most improved and then you add, you know, Natasha Cloud, who I don't know that we've seen her best basketball, but she's trending in that direction. Ariel Atkins. Um, I, I, I just, this team is scary to me because they have limitless uh, uh, potential, in my opinion, Michelle. They do. And, uh, you know, you do have to give Mike Tebow a lot of credit. Uh, I think there was definitely some thought about was Ariel Atkins the right pick? you know, the, the right draft pick because there was a chance there to get Victoria Vivians, um, who had such a great senior season. But, you know, Mike Tebow is a – you want to talk about a, a scout scout, right, because he did this in the NBA. I mean, he's – this guy is knows scouting, you know, as well as anybody in any sport. And they decided to go with Ariel Atkins. You know what, that's been a great pick, I think, a really, really great pick for them. San- Latoya Sanders is somebody who, I mean, think back, She she's a much older player sometimes than I think people realize. Uh, she's still playing very young, but she's going to be 32 this year. Um, she was a player who I think really found herself over in Turkey. You know, has been such a good player over there. And Mike realized how much she could help the team. You know, she's had some injury issues over the years, but boy, is she, you're seeing the you know, her experience, she's still very athletic, obviously from that great rebounding program of North Carolina, and we see how much she can help them on the boards, and then when she can score, how much that helps them. But, yeah, uh, Tiana Hawkins, everybody you mentioned is somebody who's really stepped forward, and 
there was real concern without Miesemann because she played well with Elena Deladon. They got along well. They really, I think, you know, liked each other. There was some concern about how her absence would impact the Mystics. And, hey, you know, they've they've made up for that absence. Yeah, I, I haven't had a chance to read Lindsay Gibbs' um, write-up on Sanders, but I had a conversation with her. I know a lot of people have noted that injury history you talked about, but this year in particular – she had a terrible bout and then it may still be getting treatments, but with severe anemia, um, yeah. she couldn't even get up and down the court twice without feeling like, you know, she was going to have to lay down um, where she was going to get treatments. And, you know, Mike Tebow was having to schedule practices around that. It, it's been a nightmare for her, um, you know, not to mention the actual physical, surgeries that she's had to have over the years so good to see her healthy and and Washington playing well what's going wrong with the WNBA um and I don't know if it's necessarily what's going wrong but what's the surprise uh for teams that aren't playing their best basketball LA Minnesota New York um start with whatever concerns you most uh when it comes to those three teams Michelle well, it, with New York, I think right now they just they do not have the scoring ability that they need. I mean, right? You just don't have another player who's really stepped forward as a consistent high level threat behind Tina Charles. And obviously, there there's a lot they're dealing with too, with the move to Westchester and how that impacts the fan support, how it impacts. You know, they have a new coach, obviously, with with Katie Smith, and I know she's been with the team the last couple years as assistant, but first year as a head coach, a lot for her to deal with. And right now, you know, you just – and they've also lost some games that have been really tough losses, you know, and I think those are tough when you're struggling and then you feel like you get a gut punch, you know, in, in in some games. There's a lot, I think, to be kind of concerned about right now with New York, which is how they're going to finish out this season. Are they going to have a new owner? Where are they going to play? What's really going on, you know, with that organization, not just this year's team, but then also are they going to be able to really form a, a, you know, a tougher, stronger, better core around Tina Charles while she's still in her, in her prime. I think those are legitimate questions to ask with the, with New York. Yeah, you know, I was thinking about this with them because I look at their individual pieces and I'm like, oh boy, she's really good. Oh man, she's good. I mean, I'm looking at Rhea Hartley. I'm looking at, you know, Sugar Rogers, who's been an all-star in this league. I'm looking at Epiphany Prince, who um, was pressing on some of Cynthia Cooper's records in terms of, you know, scoring in, in high numbers. Um you know, in in stretches, whether it's 30 points, games of 30 or more, whatever the case is, I, I mean, Shavante Zealous has, has been so good. We remember her back in, in Indy. But the pieces don't seem to fit well together. And one of the biggest concerns for Katie Smith coming into the season was, hey, um, we're going to need something else other than just Tina Charles. Now, the issues that they had to start the season with injuries, missed games, whether it was Sugar, Epiphany Prince with a concussion, Brittany Boyd working her way back, that did not help, right? And part of WNBA success is can you weather the storm and and come out on the on the high end of that 34 game season? Um, and some teams have, you know, who had injuries to start, who had later rivals and all that stuff. But New York is a team that doesn't seem like they have bounced back from that well, right? Or haven't been able to recover from that. So um, it, it's uh, it's not surprising, I would say, because the league is so good, and, and that's what we'll get into here with LA and Minnesota. You know, any other year, New York is good enough to to be a playoff team. This year. I mean, it is so competitive night in and night out, more than I've ever seen it. Um, and L.A. and Minnesota are getting a dose of that. I, I'm sitting here watching those two teams play back-to-back the other night, watching Minnesota-Chicago, um, and then watching L.A. I'm trying to think of who they just lost to. The, it, the Mystics. Um, yeah, to Washington. Washington, yeah. And I'm like, uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> we thought we may have a finals rematch. Michelle, what in the world is going on? 
I think it's one of the things you just brought up, which is a really great point. The league is better. You know, the the teams that were last year, Seattle obviously has made a huge jump, but some of the teams that I think were were starting to make moves last year have made moves forward. Um, you know, we, we've seen even with the teams that are at the bottom and the standings can jump up and bite people at times, even Indiana. Um, mm-hmm. has done that, mm-hmm. beat, beat Minnesota, beat Minnesota at home. Uh, I think the teams have some different issues. Minnesota got off to a, a really tough start. Maya wasn't shooting the ball particularly well. We know that their bench was restructured, so there were some different roles people had to get used to. But they kind of weathered that, went on that the, that seven-game winning streak, and then you know had that hiccup again with the loss to Indiana. Then they play well against the Sparks, but you expect that because those two teams can't stand each other, so they really get up for each other. But then they go into Chicago and don't play well. Here's what I think, LaChina. I still think think Sylvia Fowles is still the the MVP of that team and needs to be. And I and I don't say that obviously I love Maya Moore, think she's a great player. She's also in that category, but it just seems to me like when they don't get the ball in Fowles' hands as much as she needs it, which was the case uh, definitely in that loss to Chicago, they still have problems. I still think everything really revolves around how well she plays and then how well Rebecca Brunson, you know, complements her inside. But I, I think when Fowles is, they're just, when they're not doing what they need to do in terms of, of highlighting her, that can be a problem. Uh, L.A. is a, they're a little different story in that, and this is sometimes it's a hard thing to say this, but I think you have to look at does their does their best player do their best players are they elevating them the way they need to? Candace mm-hmm. Parker's having great seasons statistically, but you've seen some games where she kind of drifts. She drifts mm-hmm. away from inside where I think they need her. You know, they definitely need her on the boards, and she drifts away from stepping forward as the truly great player she is. That might sound harsh. She might say, "Look, hey, look at her numbers. They're good. But Candace Parker kind of has to be great. She really does. She has to be great for L.A. because when she's great for L.A., she covers up everything else that might be missing. And that's what great players do. So I think they have to have her playing great, and they have to sort of – they have to have that – that NECA, Gumake, Candace Parker, high-low thing working. Uh, and then I think that that's when, they're, that's when they're a great team. And when that doesn't, when that's off, I think it cascades and affects other things. Yeah, I, I, I would totally agree with you. And, and I'll start with L.A. So I'm, look, I'm looking at their last, I guess, six games. They've lost five of their last six, right? Now, keeping in mind they win a stretch without Neko Gumake, and again, mm-hmm. a team's ability in this league, especially with quick turnarounds, especially with a condensed season, if someone has to miss a game or two, how you regroup from that is is important. And I don't think this I, L.A. beat Minnesota without Candace. I, I think it's incredibly hard, or would be incredibly hard for them to win without Neko. I'm not going to say totally impossible because no one person is an entire team, but she is so much to what they do. So they were trying to regroup with that. But I think the thing that would have helped LA when NECA was out or when Candace has had these games, I mean, seven points against Vegas or recently six points against Washington was if they had the support from, from their second unit that we've seen. I mean, Lavender is shooting a career low from the field. Odyssey Sims since moving to the bench is not having the same impact. Now, Essence Carson is having a great year back to shooting, you know, well, um, didn't, I, I think maybe her last two games, she may have struggled a little bit, but um, those complimentary players have to be ready, right? Um, Absolutely. You know, Candace is, is getting up in years. She does have some games where she doesn't feel well. And I asked her, you know, when I saw her in Minnesota before that game, I said, you know, what's what's going on with these games where you've had, fewer points and she's like well you know we're a diverse team which I I totally agree with you know it doesn't have to be the Candace Parker show scoring 25 27 points a night but she said I do have to impact the game and I think she was 
something more to her assist numbers, her rebounding and things like that. But their, their complete unit that, you know, we're used to seeing functioning so well, which usually goes about seven deep off of the bench has not, has not been that way. Now, Minnesota, um, and, and it's interesting you say that about fouls because what I kind of see happening is they can't utilize Sylvia fouls the way they need to if everyone else is not um, as effective as, as right. they need to be because t- we've seen teams collapse. And whether that's Simone Augustus, who, you know, can she put up 25 or 30 a night like she used to? Probably not. Um, or if that's Lindsay Whalen, can she, you know, like it, the volume of, of scoring that this team used to have was ridiculous. Just, um, you know, a lot of things were on their side, whether that's youth or whether that's quickness or it's the rest of the league that has just caught up with them in, in some of those spaces. So, um, and Maya has had some really tough shooting nights. So what does that do to fouls then? It allows the defense to really focus in on her. And so they've got to have that balance on offense. I think that's missing. Um, are they as good as we've ever seen them defensively? No. Um, but it, it, everyone in this league has off nights. And I don't even know that I would put Minnesota anywhere close to LA's category because Minnesota did go on a seven game win streak. They did beat LA. Um, but the rest of the league is really good. But yeah, you're surprised when they lose to Indiana and you're surprised when, um, at the end of the game, Cheryl Reed pulls all her, her starters out of the Chicago game because I mean, what, what, what is this? This is not Minnesota Lynx basketball, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I still get shocked when I see those two teams lose, but I guess I have to allow them to be human. Um, but it, it just, because of the pieces they have and because of the high level we've seen them play at, um, it, it's been hard for me to accept. Yeah. And you know, you know this because you, you follow all sports. Sports is a, sports is, um, is a, is an unforgiving area of, uh, to, to, to make your living in because there's always somebody coming up who's gunning for you. There's always, you know, when you succeed, there are people who want to, you know, who want to get there and knock you off. That's the essence of sports. And the fact that Minnesota, especially, I mean, this has been a very long run for them, the longest run in the WNBA of, of excellence. And at some point there, there has to be some regression. I mean, it's just, there, there has to be. And especially in a league where player movement, you know, is it can be somewhat limited. They've actually, you know, had some great, you know, with the fouls trade and with, um, you know, other things that have happened to them. But, you know, it's interesting losing. You look at Natasha Howard now in, in Seattle, um, leaving Minnesota, and and Renee Montgomery in Atlanta. I mean, those are two players, especially Montgomery. I think right now, the way she was last year, that they miss. Um, and same way, you know, with LA, they they I think they're a, a team that depends a lot on chemistry that maybe isn't always um, evident, but it's there, you know, that that they yeah. have. And when that isn't working well, and then you have the combination of you know, the only thing with China I think is interesting is right now this year, so different from last year, teams think they can beat these guys. I don't think yep. last year that was the case. Last year, I think most teams thought, oh, God, Minnesota's coming in. Oh, the Sparks are coming in. What are we going to do? Like, deep down, they didn't think they could beat them. And the fact that they have lost, both of them have lost as many games, has taken a little bit of that swagger away from them in terms of other teams thinking, hey, I, you know, we think we can play with them. Yep, yep, yep. No, I totally agree. I think know your invincibility comes into play you know especially once teams see you lose to a couple of people and they're like okay we <laughs> might be able to get minnesota you know so yeah. um that's all part of it well um we have more with michelle coming up after the break we've got a couple more things we want to hit on um we're going to talk a little bit about phoenix all-star game is coming up so we will um, touch a little bit about on that, and then we'll also talk about some players that you may not hear about often enough. So, fans, stay right where you are, but after the break, more WNBA talk. Third quarter, scouting report. 
Hey fans, it's the third quarter. LaChina Robinson, your host, our fabulous producer, Tarika Foster Brasby, and the one and only Michelle Vopel <laughs> on with us talking WNBA. And um, we're going to rejoin here into the conversation, just giving a broad stroke of what's happening in the league. And Michelle, I have to ask you, maybe about three weeks ago, I'm thinking Phoenix is going to be in the finals, right? Like there was no question in my mind. And then Sancho Little gets hurt out with an ACL, right? That had been the most consistent starting lineup in the league with Sancho, Dewana Bonner, Breon January, the incomparable Diana Tarazi, and Brittany Griner. Consistency. Sancho goes down. Not only that, but we see that Breon January may not be healthy right now. So where does that leave Phoenix? Are they still what we thought they would be three weeks ago has their potent level of potential changed. Can they be a, a finals team with basically the same team they had last year plus Bonner, which is a big ad, but if Sancho is not there and Breon January isn't healthy, what do the Phoenix Mercury really have as far as their future? You know, they probably have a team that might top out at the semifinals. And you hate to say that, but I think you're right about the you know Sancho Little is such a she's such a reliable, dependable. You know what she's going to do. You know what she's going to give you. Really good veteran. Seemed like she fit in well there in her first season. That was just such a tough injury to see. Um, and also, obviously, you know, it means she misses the World Championship or now World Cup coming up, which is unfortunate also Mm -hmm. but she's a really hard player to replace and as you said also when your point guard is not at a hundred percent that puts more pressure on Diana Tarazi to do even more playmaking and I think that's something obviously she does great I mean she's leading the team in assists but you're putting even more on her plate at that point when um, you know when Brian January has some issues they brought, you know, they have Angel Robinson, who's, you know, one of those players who's actually been a really good, you know, find for them. Um, but she's not going to be the type of player that Sancho Little is. So right. you're going to need Camille Little. You know, Camille Little has to try to get some more mileage, you know, out of, out of herself. And, again, she's an older player who's a good player and, and very dependable, but she's been in the league a while. I, I tell you another thing, and maybe this just won't happen, but Brittany Griner is about a career, you know, seven three seven point four rebounder. That's her whole career. She has never been a great rebounder for someone her size. I think she's got to say to herself, I've got to, to step it up on the boards because you yeah. lose about, what, five, six rebounds a game with Sancho. And I think, yeah. you know, Brittany's never averaged, like, I think more than eight, 8.1 rebounds a game. I think she has to almost look at the numbers and say, I have to help make up for that. I have to do that. I have to find a way to impact the boards more, um, be, especially against, you know, to, to try to make a finals run. I think they have to be a team that, that rebounds better. Yeah, I mean, and Camille Little is capable of fill, filling in and um, has been a solid player throughout her career, but Sancho is a different type of player. I mean, you have to look at the number of WNBA all-defensive team selections. Um, same with Breon January, and that's what this team needed, right? They needed some defense and rebounding. And the more that they are able to get stops, the better their offense is. It all works, right, in basketball. And when you can rebound the ball, you can get out and run, and you're not giving up second-chance points. I do have this theory about why Brittany Griner, or why the, why the team in general is not a better rebounding team. I think because of the way they, especially on the offensive end, because of the way they stretch the floor, right, like they'll sometimes go, they would prefer to go four out, one in, and allow Brittany to go one-on-one and spread the floor with shooters. Because of that, I think it makes it incredibly hard for the other four players to crash the boards by the time Brittany shoots the ball, right? Because you've got to go from the three-point line in to rebound. Now, you can go in there. You can do that. But keep in mind that 
your defense is in help. And so they automatically are closer to rebounding situation and opportunity. It also means that Brittany has, she's getting boxed out by three players because the rest of her team are two players because, you know, her other teammates are just not even in rebounding position. Now I'm not making an excuse because I think there are times where Brittany definitely can play stronger. It's not always on balance. I get that. But I do think, their style of play kind of lends itself to them to, to at least her not being a better offensive rebounder in the team in general, but she can get better in that area. I just, I, I was thinking that Phoenix may pick up like a Dev Peters because your defense at the power forward position, it's important. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're playing possibly Candace Parker, you're playing Deladon, you're playing Asia Wilson. Um, you've got your work cut out you know, <laughs> for you, you know? And so, some of the best players in this league play at the power forward spot. Rebecca Brunson, I don't know if I said her, but, um, so that's an important defensive position. And I'm concerned about Phoenix with those, with the, with that loss of Sancho Little and with what appears to be Breon January not at full strength. So, um, we'll keep our eyes on that. Moving on to some players that we don't hear as much about just curious in your thoughts you know when we start talking about most improved Michelle whether it's um, Natasha Howard or it is Sanders I know you like Dierica Hamby um, I, I like that Azrae Stevens has come along strong I think she could possibly be a she could be an x-factor she is going to be an x-factor for Dallas but um, what are your thoughts on most improved or some players that um, are catching your eye well I think Natasha Howard right now um, is probably the 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 front runner. She's averaging uh, like 13 points and nearly seven rebounds a game. Obviously, it's their first time to be a full time starter. I think she started about half the season, her rookie season, um, back in Indiana. But this has been a great fit for her at Seattle. Um, the players you mentioned, all of them, I think, have made steps forward. Another player who's made steps forward, even though she's not starting. I think she's only started a couple games, but has definitely had her best season so far as Cheyenne Parker with Chicago. Mm. And uh, I think, you know, she's averaging now in double figures. She's a little over 10 points a game, averaging, again, close to seven rebounds. And even though she's coming off the bench, she's really starting to fulfill that potential, I think, was the reason that they, they drafted her, you know, a few years back. So, if she can keep that going, I think she's in that, um, you know, that most improved race. A player who I think, you know, her numbers are not as big from this year to last year, so I don't know that she's going to be in the most improved race, but somebody who's really been important and it's been nice to see her growth these last two years is Kayla Thornton in Dallas. Mm. And with um, Kareem of Christmas Kelly, unfortunately going out with an ACL, just such a dependable vet. I think that made Thornton stepping forward even bigger. So she's been mm. a, a very good player. She's got good size and she fits in with, um, with a lot of things that Dallas likes to do. Um, you mentioned Latoya Sanders earlier and everything she's been through, but wow! I mean, this is this is actually only her sixth season in the WNBA. Although I believe she her first year was I believe it was 2008 um, when she was drafted, um, but she stepped forward a lot. And then one other player I want to mention because you know Indiana struggled a lot, but somebody who I feel is starting to come into her own is Natalie Achonwa. Um, yes. at, at Indiana. I mean, her numbers have been a lot more consistent. We've seen her work on the boards be um, important for them. She's had a couple really big scoring games. They're going to struggle this year. Everybody knew that, but I think she's starting to find her herself as, as a WNBA player as well. So those are all people that kind of stand out to me, um, you know, from that standpoint of, hey, um, they're they're not the superstars of the league, but they're all having an impact. Yeah, we're definitely seeing a lot of players, um, you know, just increase their effectiveness, their efficiency. I would just add in, you know, I think Tiana Hawkins is having a breakout year. I mentioned the Erica yeah. Hamby. Amanda Zowie B has had some moments of brilliance starting to come along. Nia Coffey um, with, you know, more time and a ton of confidence from Bill Lambeer. 
is showing that she can be someone in the future of this league that um, really, you know, makes a difference. So it's fun to see all of these players as well. I know we talk about the headliners, but um, a lot of players playing well. Before I let you go, Michelle, um, you don't have to tell us who you voted for for WNBA All-Star. Of course, we're all excited about it coming up. I've already turned mine in, but just any trends that you notice with All-Star? I mean, it's, 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 um, God, there's there's so much talent at the forward position. I mean, between Liz Cambage, who really could be most uh, could be considered for most improved, even though her first stint was so long ago. But you know, Sylvia and Asia and Stewie. Um, and I want to mention one more player that's coming along, and that's Kayla McBride. My goodness, I love yeah. watching her play. Always have, all the way back to Notre Dame. But anyway, um, anything interesting when you were doing your All Star votes? Uh, I, I, it's always hard for me to do these because, um, you know, you, you start second guessing yourself because there are a lot of players who I think have made themselves, um, viable in that conversation. Uh, it's, it's interesting you mentioned Cam Beige because, uh, I even think she's gonna, you know, she continues the way she is. She, she may get some MVP knots. Right yes. now, there's no question. Right now, I don't think anybody's mind. Brianna Stewart is the front runner. It's, it's. I think you may have mentioned it at this point. Maybe hers to lose. The way she's playing, her efficiency. I agree with that. Diana Taurasi, I think, is in the in that conversation. Um, yep. Elena Deladon, obviously. Um, I think Liz Cambage. Um, another, another. You know, we've ne- we've only had one time when a rookie has won MVP, but Asia Wilson. The way she's played is going to get unreal. Yeah, but there's <laughs> one more player we haven't we haven't mentioned, and maybe there's I'm sure there's more, but there's one who I just I've been so impressed with her leadership this year, and that's Skylar Diggins Smith. Yeah, I mean she has yep. been through a lot um, with the franchise moving, with the ACL injury she had, with the different pieces around her, and she just continues to be I think a really good leader for that squad in yep. Dallas and and they're a team, you know, are they a team that can win a championship? I don't know, but they're a team that can definitely, if they get in the playoffs, which, you know, I think they have a, a, a good shot at can be a scary team to face, especially yep. with, with that, you know, that duo of Skyler and, and Liz Cambage. So um, getting back to the all-star, I think, What's going to be really fun, I think, is the format this year. You know, once we find out who the, you know, the top two vote getters are, how they end up picking their teams. That'll, you know, that's a new twist with the with the WNBA All Star Game this year. That could be a lot of fun to watch. Um, what direction they go? No, I, I agree, and I'm looking forward. I think it's July 19th that the selections will be announced as far as who the captains have picked. There's a game. On ESPN2, Washington um, is at Dallas. So fans, make sure you mark your calendars for that game to find out. And if it ends up being my immortal Lena Deladon for the top two go-getters, I mean, I can't think of two nicer people who would probably have to call and consult when they were there making their choices for who they're going to have on their team. So uh, that would be something that's fun to watch. Michelle, thank you so much for your time. As always, fans, you can follow Michelle Vopel at Michelle V, but that Michelle is spelled M-E-C-H-E-L-L-E, Michelle V um, on Twitter. She always has great breaking news, and, and can you can just stay up on what's happening with the league. And, uh, Michelle, we hope to talk to you soon, maybe at All-Star. Yes, hope to see you there. <laughs> Fourth quarter. Out of bounds. All right, women's basketball fans, we are in our fourth quarter and we decided this week that we wanted to hear from you guys. Um, I'm always checking our uh, Gmail account and we get lots of emails from a lot of people of China. Like they are always asking us our opinions on different events. They're asking about different players, asking about different ways to be involved in a game. Like they're very inquisitive and we love it. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thanks to everyone for, you know, all of your notes. We started the email address and and actually the Twitter handle because we wanted to have more interactions with people. We know there's a lot of questions you have about women's basketball. Like for those that are trying to jump on board and we want you to jump on board, there's an educational process that takes place and we don't always have the space 
and Twitter or, you know, those kind of places to talk to fans or to listen to what their concerns are. So that's why we started this interaction and we don't get to every email, but, um, we're going to try to at some point, you know, obviously Tariq and I are a small team. And then um, we have one more member of our team, Selena, who does an excellent job in helping us with creative uh, social stuff. Uh, but it's just really pretty much us. So we're trying to work through the emails. But this week we decided to do fan mail in the fourth quarter. So fourth quarter fan mail. And uh, Tariq has got some uh, yeah emails she's going to share. Yeah, so we do. Ready, Tariq. Great. So we've got some good ones. So I'm going to read three. Um, there were tons more. So, uh, congrats to the lucky ones and to the other ones. We'll try to get you, um, on at another time. But this one is from Zoe Zerling. She says, hi, I'm a player at North Northeastern women's basketball team in Boston. And I was just listening to the podcast and I love you guys goal of growing the women's basketball as a young female player who really loves the game. I admittedly am still working on following women's basketball as much as I follow the men's. I was wondering if you had any ideas for me and my team to get more involved and to help grow the game of women's basketball in some way. I'd love to be more involved with something like that. Zoe. I like that. Thank you so much for reaching out. And um, I know you're having a great time, time of your life right now playing college basketball. I can tell you that was the best four years of my life so far. Actually, I'm lying. The last couple have been pretty good. <laughs> but um, yeah, so for people, especially of your age group that, that want to get involved, like college age students, I know how much you're on your device. So I would say first and foremost, the WNBA app is where it's at. It's $16.99, and I know that's a little expensive considering the fact that you don't really have a job, but um, you might have to save that date at the movies this Friday or maybe, you know, don't get your nails refilled for the week. Um, and put that kill me. <laughs> put that towards the WNBA app. But I also know that, um, you know, the YouTube space is very popular. So if you're on YouTube, especially with younger, you know, college age kids, high school, even younger. So if you're on YouTube, I would subscribe to the WNBA YouTube page and check out some of the content. There's some really cool content out there on YouTube that gets you in longer form that allows you to get to know the players and um, see highlights. Cause I know some Jira Hooper, you probably like that aspect as well, but um, you can see highlights and listen to players talk and things like that. It sounds like you're already plugged into Around the Rim. So uh, that's the start. But there's tons of other great podcasts and blogs um, that you can engage in on on Twitter. Um, you know, there's I mean, you probably listened to our show last week, but Dish and Swish, um, Hoop Feed is a place that I usually go to get information. Um, but in terms of the, specifically for the WNBA, I mean, it, I don't even want to leave people out, but um, there's a lot of places you can go and you can check my Twitter feed because I'm usually retweeting or at least trying to keep people up on news. Um, but try the WNBA um Twitter handle as well and we're gonna we have our fourth quarter segment growing the game so you can get to know some people who are covering the game in that way um what else Tarika I think those are some really great ways to get involved and I think you nailed it when you mentioned using social media at its at its best I mean that's what people are doing nowadays and especially college day student and I think that um along with her team I mean if there's 12 people on a team 10 people on a team that's 12 different unique users who can share content on a continual basis like that's that would be great yeah follow your favorite players and um you know i think if you're in a WNBA city definitely try to check a game mm -hmm. and there's this feeling that WNBA games are expensive as expensive as nba and nfl i know those those types of games and experiences are out of reach for most people but that's what you'll love about the WNBA is it's an affordable ticket um, and yeah, so that's our advice. Awesome. Um, our next email comes from Abigail and her email is kind of lengthy, so I won't read all of it, but she does say she enjoys the podcast and she's a D3 coach. And I think her biggest question is that, you know, now that she at one point had uh, aspirations of playing at a D1 program, Tennessee to be exact. But when the summer before her senior year of high school came around, she was only being contacted by D3 coaches. She says, I was elevated to be looked at by these coaches and super excited to start the process of picking where my next journey was going to be. Now that I am a D3 coach, I see a very frustrating side of the recruiting process. There are a handful of girls we recruit 
whose parents think that they are D1 caliber players and will not give us the time of day until they have not received any contact from D1 or D2 coaches. How come those kids are so focused on getting that athletic scholarship when at the D3 level, your scholarships are academic and cannot be lost within your four years? I feel like kids right now do not understand the D3 level and that they can excel both athletically and academically for four years. I loved my D3 experience. She went to Mount Union and she said she was okay with knowing that she was nothing more than a D3 player because it helped her to grow. She's just curious about your thoughts on how kids figure out what level they're able to play at in college. Thank you for that email, Abigail. So that's a very, very good question. And what we do is we inspire each other and we inspire our kids and our basketball players to reach for the stars, right? So when you say reach for the stars, that's the highest goal that they feel like they may be able to attain. And for most um, kids, that means that, yeah, I want to earn a scholarship and go division one, but that's not going to be the case for everyone. So you want them to shoot for their ultimate goal, right? We don't want to crush their dreams, but eventually they will figure out or be humbled by the lack of calls from Division One, or le- the lack of opportunities, and have to look other places. I think what our job is, and what we have to do, is do a better job of educating people on the differences between Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three. You know, I-, I will have to say that even I have had to dig a little further in and and still learning about the differences and the benefits of all different levels. And, you know, one thing I I think that stood out to me in learning more about division two and division three is definitely the academic side, but also um, the life opportunity. You know, Mm -hmm. we've seen so many people say, you know, division one is a lot, (laughs) you know, it's a, it's a, you definitely work hard for that, for that scholarship. Um, And it just sounds like, the division two and three levels at least offer an opportunity for a little bit more life balance. Now that's not to say that those players would not trade that in to, to have a, a full scholarship in some situations or just to go to the D D one school of their dream. But um, I think education is the, is the first piece. So uh, we have to talk more about that. You know, how can we educate, there's just a lack of education in general, in my opinion, at the AAU and high school level um, for parents to understand all of that, for student athletes to understand all that. So mm-hmm. that's probably the biggest journey for me is or biggest thing to tackle or a, a part of the agenda is how do we get those young women more educated on the process of finding a college on figuring out what level they should play at on looking at academic opportunities are you going to get to go abroad are you going to like we're not and that's why sometimes sometimes we're seeing transfer levels so high because the the homework is not done on the front end and we definitely Um, need to make sure to dispel the myths that there isn't competition at those levels and I say this from experience I didn't play basketball in college but I did play volleyball and softball at both the division two and division three levels and the competition is stiff in both levels so if there's anyone out there who's thinking that if I play at d3 then I'm not going to be challenged that my coaches won't be as competent that you know the workouts won't be as strenuous or even that you won't be noticed that's there are so many d1 caliber players that actually have to play at d2 and d3 schools for other reasons other than talent it could be you know academically they didn't quite make the grade to play at a duke or something like that or it could be you know maybe they had to leave school and come back which was some of my teammates literally had to take a a couple of years off and left North Carolina state to come play at St. Aug in Raleigh, North Carolina, which is an HBCU on top of that. So it's different reasons that players have to, or choose to go to a D2 and a D3 school, but don't ever think you're selling yourself short by having to play at those institutions because there are some fierce competition there. Well said, Tarika. (laughs) All right. (laughs) So our last email that we'll have today comes from Andre Cartwright, and he doesn't really have a question, but he did just want to leave us some thoughts um, about our podcast. And so he says, first, I would like to express my sincere condolences to the China and family. My thoughts and prayers are with you. Secondly, I really enjoyed the Ann Donovan Memorial episode on the last podcast living in Charlotte during her tenure as Sting head coach. I remember the fondness of the community for her as she led the team. She will be missed. 
past and her contribution to women's basketball will last forever. Lastly, the historical perspectives from your guest on the podcast are definitely much appreciated. Keep up the great work, ladies, and thanks for creating this podcast. I look forward to the continued quality episodes. Best regards, Andre Cartwright. Andre, thank you so much. We are glad that you enjoyed that episode. It was definitely a tough one for all of us who knew Anne uh, because we wanted to to honor her in the right way. And we wanted it to be something that's special uh, to her fans, to her colleagues, to players that played for her. So, um, you know, we, we know that nothing's going to be perfect, but the fact that you found some value and um, found the sentiments shared in regards to Anne touching really means a lot to us. So thank you for the kind words and um, thank you for supporting Around the Room. And thanks um, everyone who sends emails again. If you'd like to share your thoughts or leave us a suggestion, a comment, please just go to around the rim podcast at gmail.com. Um, I promise I will do my best to respond. China will respond. Somebody will get back to you um, to let you know that we have most definitely received your email. <laughs> and I think that's our show today, China. Oh, this is so sad. It's time to go. <laughs> it's time to go. <laughs> Thanks for listening, fans. Remember that you can follow us at Around the Rim Pod on Twitter. Email us at Around the Rim Podcast at gmail.com. I am at LaChina Robinson on Twitter. Um, Tarika is at she knows sports underscore. Um, yeah, keep on supporting and watching the WNBA women's basketball. Um, and good luck and safe travels to everyone on the road. It's AAU season, baby. Thank you for listening to Around the Rim. Check out more podcasts from ESPN on the ESPN app.